Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Before we get started today and look at our text, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to study your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts and that your spirit would do his work here this morning. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. So today, as we read before, we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 12 through 16, uh, the first part of verse 16 there. And we're going to be looking at this idea of what it means to bear the fruit of repentance in the fallen world in which we live. And in a nutshell, this passage has a lot to do with both being a faithful disciple and being a discipler of others by how we live. As I've talked about before, as a kid, I was a big fan of After School Andy. Uh, while mom was fixing dinner, the local news station would show an Andy Griffith episode right before they did the local news. And one of my favorite episodes uh, happens to be the one where uh, Ellie, the town pharmacist, and Andy's love interest decides to run for town council. And um, this is an interesting episode because today it would probably have to be included with a trigger warning um, because when Ellie decides she's going to run for town council, um, the response is less than positive, let's say. Because remember, this is 1960, all right? This is, you know, this is new stuff for Ellie to be running for town council. We're only a couple years removed from better dead than red. So maybe the townspeople, maybe the men in particular are thinking, well, if we let, if we let Ellie run for town council, maybe there'll be a hammer and sickle coming down Main Street. I don't know. So they get together and the men in town say, we've never had that before. A woman run for town council? We can't have that. So they get started and they decide, well, you know what? We're going to put some pressure on the women in town to make sure that this doesn't happen. And the women respond by putting pressure on the men to make sure they know that it is going to happen. So it ends up in a civil war in the town of Mayberry. And the whole episode uh, culminates in Andy's kitchen. And Ellie comes in and she says, look, you know, I wanted to run for town council. I'm not going to do it anymore because it's caused so much friction in town. And Aunt B's saying why, and Andy's trying to get his foot out of his mouth, and Opie looks up at him, who's probably five or six years old, and he says, uh, Paul, is, is Ellie running for counsel anymore? And he says, well, no. And then Opie proceeds to say, we won, Paul. We beat them females. We put them in their place. Mm. Have you ever had your own words parroted back at you by a kid that you've been around? Have you ever said, I, that's, no, I didn't say exactly, that's not what I meant. And then you realize, no, that's exactly what I said. And that's how he internalized it. So Andy immediately starts eating crow. And this combined with the uh, disapproving looks of Ellie and Aunt B, he decides that he's done something wrong. And he goes and tries to fix it because... We too can fall into the same kind of trap that Andy did because when we forget or fail to understand that we're called to both be disciples and disciple other people 
by our words and our actions, sometimes we can cause unintended damage to those around us. So with this in mind, let's look at the passage again together. Uh, It's a few short verses, so I'll read it for us to refresh our memory here. Starting at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So a few Wednesdays ago, I preached in Philippians as well, and this is the follow-on passage for that. And the book of Philippians was written by Paul, and it's part of a very specific grouping of his letters called the prison epistles, which means Paul was writing these while he was in Rome awaiting trial. And it's in that context that uh, Paul is calling the church at Philippi and the people there to live out their faith well, both individually and as a community. Because he wants them to be a witness to the internal heart change that Christ has done for them. And Paul is in particular writing to them in terms of a concrete application of what he's just written. So a few Wednesdays ago, I discussed the uh, earlier part of this passage. And it was a great passage where Paul describes both the work and person of Jesus Christ, his humanity and his humility on our behalf, where he came lived a perfect life of obedience that we couldn't, and because of that became the once and for all sacrifice for us on the cross, and he raised from the dead to be able to give us the hope of eternal life in him. And what Paul wants is the Philippian believers to look at this passage and to bear the right fruit with the right attitude based on the right foundation. So let's look at the concept of this right fruit here. So... Paul begins this particular section with the word therefore, which is a bridging word in English. And one of the things you have to understand about Paul is most of the time when you're reading his letters and you're doing personal Bible study or you're hearing it preached or you get to go through an entire book, what happens with Paul is most of the time he starts his letter with facts. He wants the audience to understand what is true about who they are or about the situation. And then he transitions somewhere in the middle of the book towards now knowing that this is true, here's how we have to apply it. Here's the commands based off what we've been given here. So because of this logical reading, most of the time when we are doing deeper study into Paul's letters, professors and teachers will teach us a handy dandy little phrase. If you see a therefore... What you need to do is stop for a second and understand what the therefore is there for. Because bridging words and context words are really important when it comes to Paul. So, like we were just talking about, when he puts the therefore there, we need to immediately look back at the beginning of the chapter. Because he's saying, based off everything I've just said, therefore, this is how you're supposed to react to it. So because of what Christ did for us, both for our good and his glory, Paul is hoping that the Philippian believers will now live with the humility in response to what Christ has done for them. He calls on them to be authentic followers of Christ by bearing the right fruit in keeping with the faithful humility of Christ. In verse 12, 
Paul describes this by asking them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when we hear that at first reading, it can be a little bit troubling because in our minds, if we hear a phrase like work out your own salvation and fear and trembling, it can harken back um, an idea of a works-based salvation. It helps us think of things that uh, a lot of people have tried to earn their way towards God. They're futile attempts, and most of the time they're based on arrogant pride. And in the history of mankind, many of these things have been taught and championed. So if we think that this may be referring to a works-based salvation, does that make any sense knowing what we know about Paul? Could it possibly mean that Paul is saying you have to earn your salvation? No, it can't because the rest of what Paul says in this book and every other letter is that there is no way to earn salvation, right? It has to come through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. So when Paul uses the word work here, he must be referring to something else. He's talking about when we are saved, we work out our salvation by bearing the heart change that has taken place in us through grace, through Christ's work in us. So we're supposed to bear the good fruit. We don't earn our salvation by the works, but the works are an expression of the change that's happened in our hearts. That's the mark of a true believer. So he's encouraging the Philippians that because of Christ's great work on their behalf, they're called to respond properly as a sign to others that their hearts have actually been changed. And salvation through Christ is something that has to be done personally. It's something that we have to trust Jesus on our own by grace through faith. It can't be done based off our family heritage or any works that we've done. It has to be done by grace through faith alone. But once this takes place, there should be a marked change in our life, the way that we deal with others, the way that we think about ourselves, and the way that we express the gospel. So we live in an agricultural area, so let's think about it this way. Um, true confession, I love apple butter. Apple butter is delicious. I oftentimes forget that I like apple butter till I actually receive some. So my grandmother used to make it, but this Thanksgiving, my cousin brought several jars that he had made, and that apple butter was good. It was good on pancakes. It was good on toast. It was good eating it with a spoon. In fact, it was so good, I'm pretty sure that if I put a little dollop on top of my head, my tongue would have beat my brains out to try to get to it. That's how good this apple butter was. Now, let's say, you know, I go all in on my love of apple butter, and I decide, you know what? I'm going to make my own. But not only that, I'm going to go the natural route, and I'm going to grow my own trees to get the stuff I need for the apple butter. Let's say you see me this morning, and I come in, and I look dog tired, and you say, ah, oh, yeah, it must have been a bad weekend with the kids. And I say, no, I was out in the orchard, and I was planting a bunch of pecan trees. I really hope I can make some apple butter in a couple of years. Right? Yeah, you're going to say, Daniel, we know that you're from somewhere else, but you might need to take a remedial course with Mr. Craig or somebody because pecan trees are never going to give you apples. Why is that? Because the DNA is wrong, right? Pecan trees make pecans because that's the way God made them. And the scientific DNA within a pecan tree says make pecans. It doesn't say make apples. So in the same way in our own Christian walk, 
if we're producing the good fruit of repentance, it has to spring from not our self-effort, but the fact that our whole DNA has changed. Our hearts have been transformed by the work of Christ. And because of that, now we can actually produce the right fruit. Salvation must be personal, first and foremost, to bear the right fruit. But when Paul calls on the Philippians, it's not just for themselves alone. He's asking them to work this out in fear and trembling, also because the expression of the fruit is not just personal, but it has a distinct communal aspect with it. So when we think about some of the spiritual fruit listed, this should be obvious, right? We've looked at passages before in Galatians and those kind of things. For instance... If love is the chief of all the spiritual fruit, then it behooves us to understand that we need people around us in order to show love too, right? Not only that, um, if we're going to show love or if we're called to serve other believers, then the only way that happens is if we're in amongst other believers to in fact serve, right? Right? So it's not just for ourselves in expressing the fruit, but it's also for the people around us because they get to experience the effect of the transformed heart that we have. And if they're not believers yet, this can be a sign to them that draws them into what it means to actually be a follower of Christ. So he's asking them to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling. But more than that, in verse 13, um, he articulates where the fruit of a transformed heart comes from. See, because when we become followers of Christ, our hearts are actually sealed by the Holy Spirit, then we are sure in our own sanctification. So once we become followers of Christ, we are sealed in that, and the Spirit begins His work in our lives. But when we talk about the expression of spiritual fruit, it can't come from just sitting in the lazy boy and saying, all right, Holy Spirit, sanctify me, right? It's the Spirit's work, but we have to be in tune with what the Spirit is doing. So the Spirit wants some raw material to work with, right? He wants us to have time in God's Word. He wants us to be gathering as other believers. He wants us to be oriented towards serving others. And all those kind of things He can use for our own expression of the right fruit. We are a new creation and we're called to Christ's likeness. And as a result, we can bear the good fruit of repentance as a sure sign that Christ has changed us. So we think about the right fruit, but not only that, we're called to do it in the right attitude as well. So looking at verses 14 and 15 together in this idea of a right attitude, we're called to bear this fruit and we're called it to bear it in the right attitude. In verse 14, Paul begins this section with a command. And he wants the Philippians to express this fruit in a certain way. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is a pretty straightforward command from Paul. And it highlights how the fruit of repentance should lead the Philippian believers into righteous living and attitudes towards each other in the wider community. And by extension, us as well. And he continues on in verse 15 to give the people the why of what he's commanded them. Here's what Paul says. Paul says that they need to do this in the right attitude, that they may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the Philippian believers are to have the right attitude, not just for themselves as an expression of the transformation that's happened, 
but also for those around them because the transformation is going to bear as a uh, witness to what Christ has done for them. Uh, in the book, Good and Angry by David Pallison, he talks about how anger is an emotion that God has given us, but it can only be properly expressed when our hearts have been changed through a relationship with Christ. And he describes these verses in particular by saying, when we hear a phrase such as a crooked and perverse generation, we might think of some cranky moralist bewailing what's on TV these days. But Paul's not talking here about sexual sleaze or graphic violence. He's talking about everyday angers, complaining, which rarely makes a blip on our radar screen, is a perversity because it distorts our humanity. Complaining characterizes our whole generation and every generation. Do you want to impact the world around you? Would you like to leave a lasting legacy? Then become someone who does all things without grumbling or disputing. This is so true, is it not? We live in an age of social media. You can get on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok if you're brave enough, and you can find thousands of videos of people complaining about things and echoing each other in their complaints. But what God's calling us to is to express true fruit of transformation in a right attitude as a sign that stands against the generation in which we live. Because as we surrender to the power of the Spirit's work, we're transformed from the inside out and we view the world through gospel-restored eyes. When we're able to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit listed for us in Scripture, like joy and peace and patience and ultimately love, we live in an age based off fear and anger. Hopelessness and anxiety are rampant, and there are many of our neighbors and family and friends that are troubled by living with these mindsets because there are plenty of worldviews that promise an answer to all these things, and people have built their lives on them in this present world. But now more than ever, those solutions have been tested and they've been tested severely and they've been found wanting, leading people into more anxiety and hopelessness. And the answer is only Christ. Their effectiveness has left, or their ineffectiveness has left damage in their wake. And it only serves to intensify the, de- uh, the needs. But in this world marked by pain and hopelessness, the only antidote is joy. And it's not just any joy, but it has to be joy that comes from Christ alone. So all of us are called to be beacons to that. We act as if we are um, beacons of hope like lighthouses on the coast, witnessing to safe harbor that can only come through Christ. And when we go through things in the midst of heartache and hopelessness, if we can act with the fruit of the Spirit in that, it demands a question from the unbeliever. Because we are going to look markedly different than other people when we go through times of trouble. And because of that, they're going to ask questions like, why are they different? Or where does their strength come from in the midst of this situation that seems hopeless? And it's in this space that the spiritual conversations that can happen so that the people around us, our friends and our families and our neighbors can experience deep joy through knowing Christ. We're called to bear the good fruit of repentance and we're called to do it in the right attitude in obedience to Christ for both our good and his glory, but we're also called to exhibit this fruit based off the right foundation, right foundation. We have 
seeing that we're called to bear the right fruit in the right attitude, but now let's examine the right foundation. Paul ends these verses with a reminder of how the Philippian believers can maintain the right foundation and live faithfully. Look with me at the first part of verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. Paul is clear that if the Philippian believers are going to bear this fruit in the right attitude, they need to be anchored to the right source. And by implication, he is telling them to be anchored to the word of God. Because the word of God is the only sure foundation. It's the main tool of the spirit that's going to help them grow in Christ's likeness. And it's something that we have to desperately cling to. We have to know it and we have to rightly apply it. Because only through that will we be able to effectively impact the people around us. See, God's word is God's self-revelation about who he is and who we are and how we are to be in right relationship with him. It is the source of truth in the world that all other truth has to be measured against to determine its veracity. God's word is critical to the life of the believer. And it's the main tool that the Holy Spirit is going to use to help us develop in our Christ likeness and be able to express the right fruit and the right attitude. It's a beacon to the gospel for us, but it is also a beacon to the gospel for other people. It's something that we must cling to. It's something that we must rest our lives upon. So we're called to bear this fruit And we're called to bear this fruit in the right attitude and we're called to base it on the right foundation. So what does this look like practically? What does it look like to both be a disciple but also be discipling others? Well, let's think about it in the context of a family. My own testimony is that I'm a disciple of Jesus today because by God's grace, I grew up in a family who were believers that demonstrated these concepts for me. They also shared the gospel and they instilled in me the need for connection to a local church and how desperate that was in terms of growing in my relationship with Christ. Vividly, I remember with my grandparents and my parents, well-worn Bibles and hearts that express the fruit of heart change through Christ alone. And as parents... Heather and I have tried to do this well for the kids, both Oki and Graceland. And one of the things that we especially enjoy doing is bringing them in a service in here. Because we have wonderful programs for children. But there's something unique about being able to bring them in a space like this where the whole church is worshiping together. Now, as you well know, Oki is one and a half and Graceland is four. Is it always easy to bring them into a church service? No, but is it always worth it? Absolutely. Why? Because children, for the most part, pick up on more than we give them credit for. And you see that expressed in the way they play and the way they communicate with others, particularly in the way that they hear the word preached, but also in the music that they get to participate in. Graceland, today makes up her own worship songs where she cobbles together phrases that she heard in here. Not always in context, but she's trying. Every Christmas, as we're driving to church, she says, Daddy, is Pastor Tommy going to sing the Mercy Mild and Reconciled song this morning? And I say, I don't know, but we could. It's a Christmas carol. 
Daddy, what does reconciled mean? Boom, gospel opportunity. I get to share with my four-year-old. This is what reconciled means when we uh, share that. Even little Oki, right? He doesn't remember words and phrases yet, but he is getting impressions of what goes on in here. He's learning things like this place is important. This place is safe. This place has people from all different ages that are here worshiping together. And because of that, they're imprinting these things so that one day the Spirit can use this so that they hear the gospel, their heart's in the right place, and they come to know Jesus as Savior. So it's bearing the right fruit with the right attitude based off the right foundation, but it's also living lives in such a way that we're putting people in the right places to be able to hear and respond to the gospel. They know this place is important to mom and dad, but they also know it's important to other people. These experiences are going to be building blocks for their own spiritual growth later. And as we close today, we think about this passage. It's clearly meant for believers because believers are called to live out the fruit of repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're faithful disciples, we'll bear fruit with the right attitude. And it's not just for our own growth and development, but it's apologetic for people around us. And we stand again as beacons to those that need hope and we know the source of it and we can bring them into that. But it's not just for believers alone. This is also truth for people who are not believers because people that are not believers can't bear this fruit properly and they need a relationship with Jesus. So if there's anybody here that's not sure about their own relationship with Jesus, nail that down today because understanding who Jesus is and responding to the call of the gospel is the most important decision you will ever make. So I'm gonna call Pastor Tommy up to close us here in a closing hymn. And I'm going to pray in a few moments to close out the service. But as we sing, take time at the altar. It's open. Do business with the Lord.